1: Two, one and we are back, or shall I say. I'm back. Julie is still on the mend after her Saharan dust storm-infused uh, asthma attack. So she's back, and she's coming back. She's going to hopefully be back on uh, the podcast this weekend. And thanks to all of you who have emailed us and texted and messaged us and all the rest of that worried about Julie. She is just fine, and frankly, I think she is enjoying the downtime. <laughs> so there you go. Um, so... I had a, hopefully you guys did too, a good time with, a, um, with the last couple days worth of podcasts. It's something that's kind of cathartic for me. I like talking about those topics. Um, but this next topic we're going to talk about is something that, frankly, it took Julie and I just years to work through. And it's kind of fascinating in retrospect. I was, I've often wondered why it took us that long to get through it as far as understanding and, uh, you know, essentially what were some of our mooring lines with regards to money. And it was not an easy thing to decipher because everywhere we turned, you know, from family members to just everywhere in between, they're all sort of reinforcing this, this thinking that we didn't want to have in our heads anymore with regards to money. And it really took us a lot of work to kind of break through our own Mickey Mouse and our sort of, frankly, our own software that had been loaded into our CPUs as children that frankly was never really there to serve us it was designed to serve the people that basically loaded the software and I'm going to explain all this so if you, before you guys think I'm weird or weirder than you already do think I am <laughs> just stay with me because what I'm going to do over the next probably couple of podcasts is I'm going to work through all of this with you guys the same way I work through it and Julie and I work through it with ourselves and we have subsequently with thousands of other coaching clients Because if you really stay with me on this topic, I think you're going to discover a lot of the, maybe the bad software that you've got floating around in your own head that's keeping you away from actually obtaining any real wealth. And wealth, rich, money, all those words, they sort of have an interesting connotation, you know, depending on where you're from and how you were raised, Some people think those topics are tacky or somehow they're, you know, it's basically almost rude or unbecoming to talk about those things. But, you know, that's interesting, isn't it? So as we go through these topics, as I talk about each of these points and I sort of take you through stories maybe from our own personal, you know, 30 years of being married, but mostly from uh, coaching clients, hopefully you're going to learn from them. And my ultimate goal from presenting you this information is to put you in a position where you're going to confront your own thinking about money. And you're going to do it in the most honest way you possibly can um, and cutting through your ego. And that's going to be the biggest mooring line to you actually um, essentially seeing your way through to being rich. And how about that? I just used that word for the fourth time, that rich word. It's, that's an interesting thing. So when I say the word rich, how do you feel? What are your thoughts? I mean, these are the types, this is the experience I'm hoping to present to all of you guys over the next few shows. A real opportunity for you to be introspective about essentially, you know, regardless of where you came from, where you want to be. Cuz guys, listen, here's the bottom line. I'll just save you 3 days with a listening. You only live once and you're dead a real long time. And I mean, unless the Buddhists are right and we all come back in different forms, right? The fact is is you only live once and you're dead a real long time. So it is your obligation to make the most of this life that God gave you, and it's your obligation then, um, your moral obligation to be rich. Because when you're rich, not only does the quality of your life improve, but in order for you to have earned the right to be rich, you had to have improved the, uh, the quality of life for a lot of other people. So I'm going to walk you through these points, and I'm going to start out by, and this is I think a five part, um, you know, five distinct points. Well, you know, they all kind of blend, but you guys get the point. So these, and I broke these into five rules and we have presented this before, but Julie and I updated all this content for the series of podcasts that I'm starting today. So I'm just going to jump in, but before I do, I want to remind all of you, um, this is, it's critical right now. I was just scanning the news because I was thinking about sharing with you guys some headlines and then I realized I sure as hell don't want to be reading these headlines, letting them, let alone, you know, (laughs) share any of them with you, but Long story short, it does seem the lovely coronavirus is making a comeback and there is going to be, you know, differing responses depending on the state you live in, depending on where you are, um, you know, maybe even where your belief structure is with regards to the coronavirus. It just is is this we're walking into a, a real uncertain time between the social unrest, between the economic situation that the world's in, primarily our country's in, and now you've got the return of this virus. It's going to be a real absolute you know, uncertain time for at least the next year. And if there ever was a time for you to take seriously your obligation to be rich and your obligation to be of service to other people, if there was ever a time, maybe you always thought you wanted to have those uh, two thoughts as your North Star, maybe you've just procrastinated because you thought you were too busy and whatnot. If there is going to be so many things that are going to pull you in so many different directions, trying to take you emotionally into different pieces. And it's not. It's going to be never-ending. It's going to be one thing after another after another. I, by the way, I didn't mention the election year, right? You know, I mean, this is just, it's going to be Looney Tunes for the next probably six to 12 months. You have to decide to be your own North Star. And the most powerful thought you can ultimately have is getting to the point where you can be free of all the noise. And the only way ultimately you can never be free of all the noise is basically not to be financially dependent on it. Cuz the way that you stay dependent is because you stay financially dependent. If you're no longer financially dependent, if your income sources are, you know, essentially independent of your efforts or your income sources are not dependent on someone else, you know, essentially making it so that you have a job, those types of things, then you're free. And once you're financially free, you're a hell of a lot harder to manipulate, which leads me to rule number one. Oh, before I do, (laughs) sorry. So uh, remember guys, if you're not yet in our free coaching program, text the word survival to 31996. Text the word survival to 31996. Um, And when you do, we're going to text you back a link to join the coaching program. If you want to essentially skip the free version of the coaching program and go right to becoming one of our premier coaching clients, you can also text the word Harris to 31996. And that tells us that basically you're wanting to speak immediately to a new member coach and they'll help you get enrolled. So if you're just wanting to get started and gather information. And, uh, you know, get your feet wet, basically. Just text the word survival to 31996. If you're ready to join our coaching program, let us know by texting the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. All right, let's move forward. Rule number one. Now, I'm going to give you some definitions here, and these are definitions that Julie and I have mostly created ourselves from having, you know, billions of coaching calls and done billions of podcasts, and, you know, this is information that sort of has taken us a while to essentially chew on and, you know, gestate, and now it comes out as hopefully things that are short, easy-to-remember phraseology, but it also is very powerful based on all the feedback we've gotten from you guys, and some of these things we've taken from our uh, best-selling book, Harris Rules, too, or you'll find also in Harris Rules. So rule number one, and let's first of all uh, start out by confronting your beliefs about what it means to be rich and about money and all these things. And if you're like me, which I'm sure many of you are, you you came from essentially a background where, as I indicated earlier, talking about money Was almost distasteful. I mean, in my family, when I was growing up, we never talked about money. And if you talked about money primarily around my dad, he would actually get mad. I mean, he would actually, there was, I cannot, I literally cannot remember a single conversation ever I I ever had with my dad about uh, making money. It wasn't something he was comfortable talking about. Now, here's an interesting thing. I mentioned software that was loaded. So where? how did he come about thinking like that? Well, his parents, obviously. Now, he, through his life, never actually confronted the way he was thinking. And he never maybe, or maybe he did, it just, he didn't do it for long enough. And in doing so, uh, it affected the, the outcome he had financially. So his essential um, financial experience or the experience he had on the planet was a direct you know, mirror of what he actually thought about money. And, and I'm, so here's the definition of rich. And remember, I told you guys this and write this down. Rich is simply where your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. That's it. Now, the idea that all of you can be rich, that you can be rich, is something I think will make, as soon as you get this concept, it will make you feel amazing. How much money, here's the question, how much money does it take for you to pay your personal bills every month? Do you know? If you don't know, that's okay. Um, Just complete the real estate treasure map. The real estate treasure map is free. You get it uh, automatically. Um, so you can download it. It's, ba- it's 72 pages, I think, but it walks you through the whole process of obviously goal setting, um, of creating your marketing plan, but also it takes you through the process of actually knowing what your magic number is. The magic number is the number of listings you need at all times to meet or exceed your financial obligations. And having done the magic number formula with you know probably thousands of agents over the years, I can tell you the average number, at least in the last five years, that most agents need to meet or exceed their you know, core financial um, obligations is about 7500 bucks a month. Now, you live in a, a lesser expensive part of the country, then the number is probably less than 5000 But for most people, if they had $7,500 coming in a month, they, in essence, by this definition, would be rich. Now, by coming in, I mean passively coming in, passive income sources. So if you had $7,500 a month net coming in from you know, rentals or from, say, EXP revenue share... Or from dividend-paying stocks, or maybe you have an annuity, or maybe you have who knows what, right? The point of it is is if you had $7,500 in whatever your number is, you have to know what your magic number is. Some of you on the coast, your magic number is probably going to be twenty-five dollars or $30,000. Know, it's going to be a lot less expensive if you live in a state without any state taxes, those types of things. I'll figure into it. So whatever that number is, you can figure it out by completing the real estate treasure map. Again, just text the word Harris to 31996, and we'll send you back the, um, you know, essentially the book that's a fill-in-the-blank book, and we walk you through the whole process. But how much money does it take for you, or would it take for you to feel rich where your money is working for you, you no longer had to work for your money? And here's the thing that I want you to all wrap your minds around. How would that feel? How would that feel right now if you know you had at least enough money coming in every month to cover your personal bills It was completely passive? By passive, again, let's drill down on what that means. It, there, it is not tied to you doing a real estate transaction. It is not tied to you really doing anything. The money just comes in passively, as in maybe it gets wired to, or maybe it comes in the form of checks, and it's enough for you to meet or exceed your personal financial obligations. How would that feel? Some of you I know have that already, and I, I, I love those. Those are my favorite type of coaching clients, frankly. You guys are more fun, fun to coach because you're not so far on the edge. You actually have time to really uh, formulate your plan and you know perfect your, your skill set. But others who are basically, you don't have any money coming in. If you don't have closings coming in for the next 30 to 60 days, you're essentially going to have some serious financial hardship. That's a vast majority of you. Like 99.9% of you are in that situation. That's the reason that after the pandemic hit, had the government not come out with enhanced unemployment, had the government not come out with PPP loans and the ideal loans and mortgage forbearances. And, and I found an article this morning that said the mortgage forbearances are spiking, basically. More people asking for forbearances. It's not on the decline. It's on the increase. So we're seeing essentially a worsening of the unemployment. That's the other thing. The unemployment numbers have shot back up. So all these government programs are sort of running their course, and they're going to evaporate. By the end of July, the enhanced unemployment is supposed to be go away. By the end of next month. So what you're seeing is a lot of people, basically, who realize they're going to be unemployed. And they're now working, looking for work, and they're asking for mortgage forbearances. I mean, all these things make sense. It's not like a big, complicated Rubik's Cube, Right. These are just the natural things that happen when there's uh, essentially 40 million people lose their jobs. And these government programs made it so that none of us had to, initi- had to immediately feel the sting of it. But it's going to happen. And a lot of those people, most of those people, they didn't have, the average American listeners only has $400 in savings. $400. So most people don't have the financial staying power to even last 30 days, let alone 60, 90 a year. But how would you feel? And I realize by saying this, I'm making some of you uncomfortable because you've never really drilled down on your own financial situation. You might not even know what your real estate, what, how much money you have to earn every month to meet or exceed your financial goals. You probably have never had that conversation because you had the same screwed up software about money that I did, Right. Because it wasn't something you talked about. And you probably married somebody who had the exact same screwed up conversation and screwed up software about money. And so you are essentially taking forward into the future, assuming you you know have offspring, the continuation of this really screwed up software and thinking about money. You're going to continue it forever. Now, I have to tell you, I'm going to take a little side trip. I've learned that the thinking about money is not something that's universally true, I have found that there are, if you were raised by financially successful parents, um, and entrepreneurs, generally speaking, they will have probably raised you, you know, to be financially responsible and understand how money actually works, and understand and accept and not wrestle with the fact that there's a direct correlation between the amount of money and freedom, and stuff and things you're, you know, you're able. I was going to say allowed, and it really is allowed to enjoy on this planet um, that requires money. And the number of people you help. I mean, they would have taught you either through word or action or both that there's an undeniable direct relationship between the number of people you help accomplish their goals and the number of goals that you're going to accomplish in your own life. And the, the less amount of time you struggle with that, the more amount of time you think about how can you be the person that's going to be providing lots of high quality, you know, product service to other people. When you move your away from the, you know, confusion about the fact that you do want stuff and you want really nice stuff and you move towards the idea that, uh, you can earn this amazing life for yourself by simply helping people. And the more people you help, the more stuff you're going to have. Now, I'm going to take another side trip. And don't worry, I'll get back on target here. I'm reading notes. (laughs) So you guys don't need to worry about me here. So why is it that some people are conflicted Generally speaking, not real estate people, I have to say. But why is it people, generally speaking, are conflicted about materialism? Why is materialism seen in some people as being um, evil? Now, I know from the religious perspective, and I'm not talking from a religious perspective, okay? I understand where some of you guys that were raised in the church, where your minds are going. But just for, this, just for the sake of conversation and just hear me out, all of us are spiritual beings and physical manifestations. Can we just all agree to that? Now, some of you, again, I know you're the atheists out there. This right here is where you're going to start, you know, tuning me out, but just hear me out. All of us are essentially spiritual beings and physical manifestations, right? As such, in a physical manifestation, you need stuff, right? You need food in your belly. You need shoes on your feet. You need clothes on your back. You need a you know computer. You need a house. You need all these things. You do have to have Uh, you know, material possessions, no matter whether you have a sort of a, 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 essentially a, a belief structure that tells you that those things are bad or not, you still need them. Even the homeless person who has found themselves in an unfortunate position in their lives, they still need stuff too. Everybody needs stuff. So you are a spiritual being in a physical manifestation. Just to make this point, why not have really nice stuff? Why not make it so the stuff you have, the house you live in, the shoes in your feet, the food in your belly... Why not have it so the experiences you have, you know, the travel you're able to have, the places you're able to go, the people you're able to help if you choose to donate money? Why don't you have those things be of the highest quality you can possibly afford? Do you how much compromising have you just have, has become innate with you in your life? How many of you really want something, but you rationalize not doing it because you use words like I can't afford it? You can afford it. If you stop basically being so greedy with your time and you stop being so selfish with the number of people you're willing to help, that's really it. That's the whole that's the whole pizza right there. <laughs> All the little pieces and parts. I just laid it out for you. There are you have within you the ability to be an amazing servant to other people. But they won't want you to serve them unless you have something to offer them that they want. You are a problem solver. You're a professional problem solver only if you choose to be. Just because you have a real estate license does not make you have any more value than anyone else with a real estate license, especially in a market like this. As the market becomes, as you know, I know some of you guys are struggling in your heads with what I'm saying because you don't want to hear that the market is obviously shifting into a different cycle. It is. And some of you are, you're terrified by that. As we discussed on yesterday's show and the day before show, Fear is one of your greatest strengths. Ooh, that's a little bit counterintuitive, isn't it? Haven't you always been told that fear is a weakness? No, hell no. Fear is one of your greatest strengths if you use it for good. If you use it and you understand that it's involuntary, you're going to feel fear. You're going to always feel fear. That's how you are. That's it it's innate within you, meaning you can't not feel fear. Now there's psychological fear there's physical fear you know which in essence is ego fear versus physical fear well that's a different show here's what really the takeaway is when you hear something that causes you to feel fear don't just react think about the feeling and then ask if the feel, fear is real so if you hear something that makes you scared it, you feel that sense of fear within, you know, I feel it always right in the sort of center mass, right <laughs> right above my stomach. And that, and that's the same place I also, when I'm feeling my ego start to boil up, the same exact spot. So I know these things are related. There's been a lot of research that's been done on the chemicals and being released in your body and the effect of this and the other thing, but that's way too highbrow for me. I'm just keeping it real here. So I can tell you where I feel fear manifesting. And it's the same place I can feel when I'm, you know, when my ego is about to put me into some, make me say something stupid or cause me to react in a way that I'm not going to be proud of having reacted. I mean, every, no one's immune to that, right? We all kind of go through that. The difference is your willingness to understand that you can be in control of the reaction. So when you have that feeling of fear, you've got to understand that is your body's normal reaction to something that might cause you harm, right? So if when you hear something, and it could just be here, you could hear something that, you know, I just told you the market's going to change. And if your initial reaction is fear, good. That's your body telling you that you're not ready. That's your body telling you that you're not prepared. Don't deny that because it just causes more fear. Don't try to, you know, make it go away by with a bunch of mindset stuff. Ask yourself, why am I fearful? And what am I fearful of? And are those things, you know, does it make sense that I'm fearful of those things? and i promise you no matter how you know non-dialed in you are to your intuition you're going to find that the more you listen to what your subconscious mind is telling you the more you're going to realize that you already know which direction to go and you're just ignoring it right and that's what most people do so think about this why is it that virtually everyone only has four hundred dollars saved do they not know that you can actually have serious financial hardships of course they do But what they've done is they've sort of surrounded themselves with other people that think and act like they do. In other words, other people that never talk about money, other people that borrow a lot of money, other people that, you know, want to talk about, you know, TikTok videos or some Mickey Mouse post to actually the things that are going to make it so that you can actually one day be financially free. They're not going to actually do the work that hopefully all of you are going to do to understand that truly what your goal and what your goal should be is to be rich Where your money works for you, you no longer have to work for your money. The only way you're going to actually ever get there is if you put these... Well, I mean, I suppose there's other ways too, but the way that we have been coaching agents to accomplish that goal and business owners on a whole is to put the thoughts together that I've just presented to you. So I'm going to break them down for you into micro points, right? Rich is where your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. I think that's something that when Julie and I put that together that felt like a bit of uh, a monkey off our backs because before we were unclear what the definition of rich was. But once we solidified that as making sense, right? Isn't that it? Then you actually, that gives you a sense of direction because then you say, okay, I know I can be rich and I don't have to wait a thousand years, right? I don't have to have $10 million or $20 million. I can actually be rich when I have enough money coming in every single month to, you know, essentially cover all my personal overhead. Then I'm not so beholden to whatever the strongest breeze is that's blowing in whatever direction that you might not want to go. Make sense? Number two, micro point, is that your highest and truest purpose in this planet is to be of service to others. Don't wrestle with that. It's true. The reason that somebody has more than you is because they've helped more people than you. That's it. Yes, there are no exceptions. You can bounce that around in your head all day, and I've had people do it. I've had people argue with me, <laughs> and they always say this too, which is always hilarious. How do you explain that if, you know, for example, Tom Cruise gets forty, fifty million dollars for doing a movie? And I, you know, I get it. So he does a movie. How's he helping people? Because people can uh, essentially become whatever action hero. Usually he's playing for two hours and it's a sensational way to, to essentially check out of reality for a while and live this sort of crazy, you know, character. You guys get the idea, right? He's, he's transporting you from whatever your humdrum, maybe stressful life is into this fantasy world. And so for that, it wasn't, you know, Tom Cruise that decided he was necessarily worth $50 or $50 million a movie or whatever. It was all of us saying, yes, I will pay my $20 to watch Tom Cruise up on the screen because I like the way he makes me feel. And that's, that's some, an, an, another little interesting point. The emotion of having a, a help somebody, the emotion that you, that the other person feels is really what they're paying for. So when they talk to you, like you, everyone's been to a doctor before, right? And you have some doctors, one doctor will say things and say it to you in such a way that now i'll give you a little hint here he's scripted but in his practice and he knows how to say things so not only is he conveying the medical advice but he's also con- uh, conveying it in such a way that you're going to listen him to him trust him and then use him because that's how he gets paid versus another doctor that d- maybe has his skills down but he's not very good at delivering the message do you guys get the little nuanced differences there i know you do So this comes into the skill set. This is where you have to start getting better. Tom Cruise and the very successful doctor, the reason they're making as much money as they have, and they are, is because, yes, they're making the money. (laughs) You know, this is hilarious. I have no idea. Oh, you know what that is? It's my (laughs) iWatch. No, thank you. Yeah, so... The moral of the story is when you put all these pieces together, you guys can have those same qualities. You can have the quality of a you know famous movie star that makes people um, have a certain emotional response. That's called salesmanship. That's what you have to learn. Some of you don't have any of it and you have a lot bigger of a learning curve to go through. Others of you, that's all you have. Like when I got started in real estate, truthfully, that's all I had and I had no skill, Right? So I didn't have any skill. I didn't know what I was doing necessarily, Um, but I had salesmanship. And so when I backfilled that with skill, then I was unstoppable. And we sold 103 houses our first year. So if you have great skill but you don't have salesmanship or you don't have the ability to connect with people, then they're not going to want to do business with you. And so many of you are essentially believing that the more, you know, from an analytical perspective, the more people are going to want to do business with you. And it's really not true. You have to go beyond just basically having the skill set of, you know, the, the spreadsheet type knowledge. You have to move into the realm of basically being somebody that other people know you're sincerely there to help them and be of service to them. These are all learnable skills. These are all things, and by the way, the backbone for all this stuff, it really is predicated on your willingness to follow scripts. I say scripts and it's hilarious because some of you have a big objection to that. Well, here, let's make it a little bit more palatable for you. Don't call it a script. Call it a conversation outline, right? And that's really what it is. We, don't, we do want you to internalize the scripts, our scripts, and we do want you to personalize the scripts. The words and the phrasing that we use are designed to convey the analytical information and designed to convey the fact that you're there to be of service right do you guys get the difference so tom cruise meets the best doctor that's what kind of all you guys should migrate to or whatever your you know go to action or you know famous person is that you admire everyone's got somebody right maybe it's somebody from history or you know whatever it is but really truthfully where this gets you and the point the rule first rule is and and again the micro points, getting back to the micro points with regards to really what to focus on, is the next micro point, I believe it's three, is all of you guys can accomplish the uh, goal of being rich within probably 24 months or less. You know, Now, you're going to have to be careful not overspending and uh, carrying too much debt, but all of you can get there. You can easily get there in two or three years. Now, if your overhead is huge, then maybe it takes you a little bit longer, but you can all be financially independent. Uh, an interesting statistic, it's like over 90% of everyone, once they reach retirement age, are either dependent on a family member or the government just to keep themselves out of poverty. So let's what would that be? 67? So isn't that interesting? Virtually everyone on the face of you know the United States portion of the earth anyway, once they reach 67, are either dependent on the government or a family member just to keep out of poverty. They've had their whole lives to earn all the money that they've earned, all kinds of opportunities to save money, and yet they don't do it. Why? Why, did, why didn't they do it? It's because no one ever showed them how, because no one ever you know, essentially confronted their limiting beliefs about what it meant to be rich, because they were told and they believe that maybe being rich or talking about being rich is distasteful. They might actually believe that for them to have financial freedom and to be rich, they have to take, take away something from somebody else. I've, I've literally been places where I've heard people say that. So have you, right? You see somebody in a nice car or you see somebody with a nice house and people feel comfortable actually saying really dumb shit like, can you imagine how many people they had to take something away from in order to get that? They see where their minds go. They go to the exact opposite of the truth. The truth is, is when you see somebody with something that you admire, you, maybe even you're jealous of, the reason that they have it is because they helped a bunch of people. Do you guys like this? Do you see how it's simple? Do you see how that cuts through all the malarkey about money? Do you see how all the mooring lines that you may have had previously about you know why somebody does or doesn't have money? Do you see how all of it was pretty much made up? Rule number two, and this is right the reason it was made up. <laughs> I'm going to try not to uh, get emotional when I read you guys rule number two. Um, But I started out by writing this down. No one, not even your mama, wants you to be rich. Nobody wants you to be rich. I'm going to say that again because it's really, really freaking important. Nobody wants you to be rich. If you're lucky, your spouse does. But nobody wants you to be rich. Do you believe me? Why is that true? Why is it that nobody wants you to be financially free? Why is it that everybody wants you to stay dependent? Why do you think? What are you thinking, listeners? You really working through that, or are you are you feeling a little bit confronted by what I just said because you don't think it's true? Well, it is true, and I'll prove it to you. Society wants you to be dependent on the government, on schools, on Social Security, you know, on a, you know, essentially a, having a job. The system can't exist if people stop start believing uh, that uh, they can be free. The system can't exist without you being dependent. And the system is everything. I don't mean to get matrixy on you guys, but you know what I'm talking about. I mean, really, the system needs you to be a gear in the machine. And if you wake up and realize that you don't have to be anymore, that you can be independent of it, then that's one fewer person that's basically in the machine, one fewer person that's passing along the bad software. The system needs you just to, uh, to be dependent the government needs you to be dependent. The government needs you to believe that they've got your back. Otherwise, you won't you'll start questioning why you're paying so much in taxes or you'll start demanding more of our supposed, you know, politician leaders, right? After all, everyone wants to hope and pray that the government is like your, you know, essentially your your daddy that's always going to protect you, right? He's going to have your back. Isn't that we all sort of been lied to, to believe that the government, that's the role that somehow the government is going to protect us from all the evil monsters and the evil doers. You still believe that you do probably because it's part of your software. I know it's part of mine. It's part of the way I was raised when I was raised in America. And many of you feel the same way, but it's not true. But why does it continue to manifest? Because if you believe that the government's going to, for example, the government, I'm not sounding political on purpose, so just bear with me here, folks. If you believe that ultimately the government's going to take care of you, then you are willing to, as I said, pay a lot in taxes, but also you're willing to sacrifice freedoms. You're willing to give up your opportunity to be free, truly free, where you are rich, where your money's working for you, you no longer work for your money. That's true freedom. When you wake up in the morning and the money's coming in, whether you work or not, whether you decide to participate in the game, whether you decide to participate in this, you know, essentially this bizarre world where everybody thinks that the government's going to save them, when you decide to ignore the, you start seeing the political messaging for what it is. They just want power. Who do they take the power from? They take it from you and me. That's who they take it from, ultimately. They don't, you know, power is not created in a vacuum. It has to be coming from something or somebody else. And that's what's going on right now in our country. They're basically power uh, power struggles. I'm not talking about the social stuff. I frankly think a lot of the social stuff has a lot of validity. I really do, which a lot of you probably would be surprised by. But I do. But nobody wants you to be rich. My job as a real estate coach, as a business coach, is to wake you up to the fact that you probably don't want you to be rich. Now, let's drill down on why. So, do your friends want you to be rich? No. So, why not? Does your preacher, pastor, rabbi want you to be rich? (laughs) And I put in my notes, no, unless you're giving them money. (laughs) Do schools want you to be rich? No. Why? Why don't schools want you to be rich? Schools are filled with people who work there because they wanted a sense of security. They personally often distrust people who are not also safety and security minded as their primary drivers think about that. So the people that are educating our kids are I'm not saying it's summarily true, um, but a lot of them basically chose to be teachers. I'm sure a good you know number of them did because it gave them a job. it gave them essentially a, a union job. it gave them a sense of security. And they're going to naturally without even I'm not saying it's malicious, but they're naturally going to um, distrust people that don't think like them. That's how everybody thinks. That's your automatic go-to. It's that someone's not quite in your way of thinking unless you're sort of, you know, aware of how you think and the limiting beliefs that you basically bring to every conversation with everyone and every thought, unless you're consciously aware of that and checking yourself, which hopefully a lot of you are learning to do, you're going to be like everybody else where you're going to meet somebody who's not like you and you're going to like them or not like them, trust them or distrust them. And you're going to have, because you have all these, you know, prevailing thoughts about them, right? That's how all of us think a lot of the thing that the social discourse that's going on right now is because they're confronting those beliefs about racism you know and it pro- that's probably a conversation that's definitely a conversation that needs to happen but there's also limiting beliefs in my, our wheelhouse is if you were rich w- wouldn't you look at all of the things that you're supposed to be worried about that the news is telling you to worry about if you were rich what wouldn't change about your outlook on life what wouldn't change Nothing, everything would change. Everything would change because you would not be so pliable anymore because you wouldn't have to be fear-based anymore. You wouldn't have to, like, look at all the people, the pandemic, for example, and the shutdown. And people always, you know, every single example seemed to be about restaurant workers and whatnot. But now we're seeing the pandemic has actually caused devastation of people of all different, you know, white-collar jobs, all different income brackets, all, you know, you're seeing states now having to, guess what? let teachers go. You're seeing different fire departments around the country that are starting to worry about their ability to, you know, keep firefighters on because your next wave is going to be, you know, essentially the conversation about the sales tax, you know, sales taxes. That sure as heck went down because people weren't spending money. If this pandemic comes back, it's going to be even worse. Do you think the as local cities and states and municipalities and, you know, all the rest of it, do you think they were any more efficient at saving money than you were? No, they're just as basically irresponsible as anybody is. They're just us. Politicians are just people, right? Governments are just people. And so their situation just as bad as ours. They have no money saved. Maybe they've just been keeping the lights on by, you know, issuing debt, which is what a lot of governments have done. Well, We're now seeing where the rubber meets the road. We're seeing sort of a real absolute unraveling of a lot of these, you know, preconceived structures about how one thing's dependent on the other. So again, we talk about restaurant workers. If people aren't, you know, can't or won't go back into restaurants, well, they're going to be experiencing a lot of hardship. But so will states, so will cities, so will essentially anything and everybody that's dependent on property taxes. So like in Texas, you have no income taxes, no state income taxes. But you sure as heck have property taxes. Julie and I were paying over 2% when we lived in Georgetown, just north of Austin, in property taxes. A lot of money. And that money went to where? The schools. So if the properties in that, and this isn't happening, but I'm saying if it were, I'm just giving you a hypothetical. What if the property tax, if the value of the properties all of a sudden went down in value? Or they didn't increase in value. And what if all the budgeting and all the planning and all the hiring and all the inevitable construction that the school systems have done were predicated on increased um, the increasing values or values increasing, right? What's going to happen then a year from now, two years from now, three years from now? They're going to have a lot of hardship. They're going to have to let people off. Everything comes unraveled slowly at first, and then it speeds up with momentum slowly especially now because the government's been throwing in so many lifelines and delaying the inevitable hoping and praying that somehow there's an immediate snap back to the economy and things went back to the way they were in february they won't ever go back to the way they were in february for a whole bunch of reasons again we have talked about this on previous podcasts so are you like everybody else right now with regards to you being the prominent person that doesn't want you to be rich because what how does that make you feel if you are actually independent of all the consternation, all the fear and loathing, all the, just the other and the other thing, if you no longer had to worry about how to pay your bills, if the money was just coming in passively, everything changes. How you choose to spend your time changes. Who you spend your time with changes. The thoughts you choose to have change. The things you're attracted to change. The things you read change. Because you see them for what they are. You would remember that, you know, let's say it's a year from now or two years from now and you've accomplished your goal of having $10,000 coming in a month passively, right? You've done it. You're rich. Great. Congratulations. Imagine all the things you wouldn't care about anymore that you were told to care about before because you were dependent on the system essentially operating as it had been. But no longer are you dependent on it, so no longer do you really care. And then what happens? The system gets pissed because the system needs you to be dependent. It needs you to uh, be fearful. It needs you to be reliant, dependent. It needs you to never be rich because then you don't need it anymore because you are then free. Do you guys understand? This is really, I think, if you wrap your mind around what I'm trying to help you guys understand that you can get there in your lifetime, you can get there fat, I mean, within months, if man, not a couple of years, you can accomplish that. And then when you do, what happens is when your mind is free from the stress of all the things that you were told were important, I'll tell you guys a true story. Um, I don't care if I even, if the person listening even knows I'm talking about her. So Julie and I were in Manhattan and we were at a Douglas Elliman event. And there was this lady that was sitting off to the, you know, my left and you know julie and i are in front of this you know nice little conference room and we were talking about the importance of being media free because you know she was asking some questions that were sort of like I mean, she was clearly had rambling type thinking didn't really understand um you know where where should she be focusing and you know we asked if anyone had any questions so we welcomed in the opportunity to help people with complex issues uh, and so after listening to her describe her different problems, none of them seemingly related, right? I asked her how much you know media she watches and she was prideful in telling me how she reads the New York Times and how she da, 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 her whole life was wall-to-wall inputs from other sources about news. Now I suggested, you know humbly wink wink, that she goes media free. I suggested that she completely purges her life of all forms of media. Everything except our podcast, of course, right? It's kind of a joke, but you guys get the idea. Completely and totally. Don't go on a low you know, media diet. Go on a no media diet. Completely free of everything. No more news. No more opinion shows. No more people telling you how to think about things that you shouldn't even be thinking about. No more allowing your mind to be influenced by things that you really fundamentally do not give a crap about. No more people, allowing people in your mind that are trying to tell you you're part of this tribe or that tribe. And as such, you have to have these thoughts or those thoughts. You are no longer manipulable because you no longer are dependent. That, my friends, that's freedom. Because then you can choose your own thoughts. Then you can choose your own beliefs Then you can choose who you're going to help, how you're going to help them. Then you can choose how you're going to spend your time. Maybe some of you, I've had this happen with coaching clients and I celebrate them. I've had coaching clients. I probably had about 20 or 30 coaching clients that have fired me as their personal coach once they got to the the point where they were financially free. And I celebrated being fired with them because we had accomplished our goal. Seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because after all, if they fire me, then I'm no longer making money off them every month. Doesn't that seem strange? I mean, maybe Tim's making up a story. No, I'm not, because I don't want them dependent on me. I don't want to be your guru, no, either just Julie, because a guru wants you to be dependent. A guru wants to take your freedom. A guru doesn't want you to be independent. So my whole mission, when I'm talking to any of you, you know, yes, I'm going to deal with whatever issue is that you're bringing to the table. But I promise you, I'm always going to go back with everything I suggest for you to do to get to the point where you're financially free, because that's where you're going to be happy. That's where you're going to have strength and power. Remember, I got five points on this topic, guys. You can see how this is something that, frankly, I, I love this topic, because it cuts through all the bullshit, doesn't it? So if you're financially free, What do you stop doing, right? You stop listening to things that were influencing you to believe in a certain way. You stop maybe doing things. You probably are going to lose, by choice, a lot of friends that were basically reinforcing you to stay dependent. So we talked about the government. We talked about schools not wanting you to be rich. We talked about, in many cases, your religious organizations don't want you to be rich. We talked about your friends not wanting you to be rich. No, and in, in your friends and your family one, that one's hard, really hard, because you would think that they, above all, would be supportive of you, but they're not. Matter of fact, they're usually the most destructive. So, you know, I know some of you guys have, um, you know, sometimes you have issues with about this topic with your spouses, and I, I'm sorry for you uh, that you have to, you know, you can't just basically say... And so I'm not giving you permission if you are having an epiphany listening to this, and this is going to put you on a direction mentally and emotionally and then financially. You do not have permission to basically leave your current obligations uh, in the shadows, right? That would be whoever you made a marital commitment to and your children. What you have to do is you have to lead by example. So if you now are listening and you're saying, you know what, Tim, I, I get it. I, I, I sort of am understanding how cloudy my thinking has been and why I'm not you know, free, why I carry around this 1,000-pound gorilla all the time. It's because I'm allowing other people to control what I think, and the reason I'm dependent, or the reason I'm allowing that to happen, is because I'm dependent on the continuation of the current system as it is to basically feel financially secure. I've given up my opportunity to feel freedom, and I've given my up my opportunity to truly live for out of basically you know choosing to allow people to manipulate me. The word choosing, the word choice. Hopefully, you guys are picking that up because you can choose to ultimately go in a different direction and that's what I'm hoping all of you accept that you do have that power no matter how old you are, young you are what your education level is whatever, it does not matter all of you should strive to have your North Star in business be to get to the point where you're rich where your money works for you you no longer have to work for your money you will have family members that are going to um, reject you because of it and I'm going to tell you a personal story I you know, told this before and I'm finally, after having told the story for a long time, I don't really get emotional about it anymore, but it's still something that isn't, was very emotional to me. Julie and I, our first year in business, first full year in business, we sold over hundred houses, 103 houses. Well, we went out and bought a slightly used, um, BMW. It was a BMW M3 and that slightly used BMW M3, like months used, it was owned by the, uh, guy that owned the car dealership was for us an absolute joy because we had, um, you know, previously, as some of you guys know, when Julie and I were in college, we had a car cleaning and detailing business. So we were car nerds, right? And, you know, there was just, it was a hobby basically. And for us to get to the point in our early twenties where we could buy basically a brand new BMW M3, that was really badass for both of us. It was, you know, I remember the car. It was awesome. You know, it was great. We shouldn't have sold it, you know, all that And, um, we just, we didn't want to show it off. We didn't want people to be jealous. I mean, we lived in Columbus, Ohio. It's not, it was something for us. It was like, that was our tchotchke, right? That was our award. That was our prize for having accomplished something. You know, Julie and I would drive up to mid Ohio during, you know, when the racing was going on. And sometimes we drive to different places to watch racing. I did some go-kart racing. I did some, you know, other forms of racing as well, but you know, those things all happened later. Um, But this M3 for us, I know it's just a thing. It's a materialistic thing. Some of you guys are saying you should have donated all your money to homeless hogs in Iowa. I get it. But for us, that was a good driver for us. We used that as motivation. All right. So I get this car. You know, and Julie and I wanted to, we wanted our parents to be proud of us. So I drive the car, Julie and I, over to my parents' house. And, um, you know, it's a 1,300 square foot house. We, uh, you know, there's five of us who grew up in the house. It certainly wasn't um, luxurious. It was, you know, on the uh, poorer side of the community, the whole thing. It's a very nice community now because, you know, most of Central Ohio has completely rehabbed itself in the past, you know, 15 years. But then, not the case. And it was known as being the poorer side of town, really. So, pulled into the driveway and I wanted to have this big reveal. Because my dad, I got my, you know, my car nerddom from my dad, right? We used to restore uh, old British cars, you know, Triumph TR3s and things like that. I probably still have Bondo underneath my fingernails. Uh, So we pulled in the driveway and, um, you know, we positioned the car perfectly. I had cleaned it up. It was a whole, you know, it's the big thing, right? And so my mom opens the door first. She looks at the car and she's, you know, well, that's really, I mean, she's been a good mom. My dad, I'll never forget this. My dad opens the door, doesn't even step outside of the door, opens the door, glares at me, glares at, you know, me and Julian, glares at the car, slams the door, leaves my mom on the porch. And he doesn't talk to me for over a year. No phone calls, won't look at me, won't talk to me, will not engage with me, will not, you know, nothing. Bizarre, right? Well, I thought so. I didn't understand it. I didn't allow it to basically derail our continued ascension. And the next year, we sold more houses and made more money. I wasn't going to allow that to slow me down. Um, you know, why am I telling you this? Am I telling you this to feel sorry for me? I don't want you to feel sorry for me because it was a amazing learning opportunity. So time passes and then, you know, we start talking again. He ends up working for us. How about that? But the reason that he reacted that way in my mind, right, was because I had broken through the mold of how he saw me. When I was growing up, nobody thought I was going to be a rock star. No academic, you know, there was never, now I did have a partial scholarship to college, but, you know, whatever. I was a solid C student. I was never interested in school. I did not believe that I'd ever have to, I remember when I was in ninth grade or something like that, and I was being forced to learn, you know, I never quite did, but you guys get the point. Things that I knew would never be useful in my life—geometry—I seem to remember as being a favorite thing for me to hate. Um, and I remember having this conversation with, and maybe it was a algebra teacher or something like that, where I said, and th- I was, let's just say, cocky. Maybe I said to them, "I said, why would I learn something that I can know I can hire somebody who's going to be a lot better at me at it, than me to do? Why would I do that?" And uh, remember that what we're talking about—school uh, teachers and whatnot. That did not get me a favorable response, but it was true, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Still true, by the way. You know, I have people now that are applying for jobs with us to work for us, and we got one, you know, we have so far had somebody from Yale and another person from Wharton, right? Those are impressive educational places, and now those people are asking, you know, for jobs, and I hope to hire some of them, too, if they're worthy of the jobs, if they have the skill set that we need. But that's what happened. So we broke through the mold. I was raised to believe that, and I remember, you know, they thought I was going to be the teachers actually. Remember the guidance counselors when the guidance counselors would actually do those career days where they would like, you know, it's such bullshit if you think about it. Having some sort of psychological profile of a kid and then giving them the, you know, based on your psychological profile as a kid, uh, what career path you're most likely follow. You guys remember that bullshit? I mean, it's such crap. But that's what, see, what, what, why was that happening? Because the system wanted me to stay in the system. That's why. Cause, and there was no, you know, result that would have said <laughs> real estate agent or let alone top producing real estate agent, let alone, you know, number one real estate coach in the nation. There was no result like that. So the result back that I got was postal carrier, a mailman, nothing wrong with being mailman. I probably would have loved it, truthfully, right? Get outside, get to walk around, get to know a bunch of people, probably already in great shape, get some nice cookies every Christmas. Probably would have loved it. But that's what my dad thought I was going to be, something like that. That's what all my teachers thought I was going to be, something like that that's how everybody treated me and fortunately because they completely missed the mark with me they didn't pay much attention to me and i never got really in trouble and i was able to get away with you know pretty much everything <laughs> i sort of flew under the radar but the the moral of the story is is that particular experience that i had really was such a you know sad maybe at the time well definitely at the time it was painful lesson in that even the people that love you the most don't want you to be financially independent or financially free. They don't want you to outshine them, which is probably also the case with my dad. And that was my mom's. And I asked her years later why he acted that way. And she said, because he was embarrassed because he never, now this is her interpretation. I don't completely agree, but I think it's mostly true that he was embarrassed that he was not a very good provider for us kids. And he wasn't. And, and he was, and God bless him, he's in heaven and all that, but he wasn't. He never really went out of his way to provide for us financially, and we did without most of the time. And um, that was something that also was a great lesson for me, knowing where he was spending his time was on hobbies. He would spend his time doing things that were selfish endeavors, not things that were actually in alignment with the commitment he made uh, to being a father. And being a husband, right? That was a great lesson for me because as I carry that forward on coaching calls and I, like yesterday, I had a, you know, an email from somebody and they were complaining about their wife and they were, this guy was saying how they don't, they're, you know, all these, my wife is mad at me. She's not supporting me. You know, me, 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 me. That's what was all through this message. Me, 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 me right and i said this is my response back and i get resp- i get emails like this frequently you made a commitment to your wife you made a commitment to you know to your husband if that's relevant you made a commitment to your family you made a commitment you have to ob- you, you are obligated morally obligated to take care of that commitment first that takes priority over your you know desire to express yourself as an entrepreneur or your desire to basically be recognized by society as you know right when you make the commitment to be a father when you make the commitment to be a mother when you make the commitment to raise children that has to be your priority in that if you're going to move forward and elevate your family, you have to do it with that, with them, with their buy-in, not despite them. And some of you guys have big mountains to climb on that, because you're going to have spouses that are going to be so fearful of um, lack of financial security because they, their mental, they're still caught in the machine, right? They're still caught in the system where they don't haven't grasped the idea that they could be financially free. I'll tell you what. If you are in a situation like that with your spouse, as many of you will be, if you choose to really aggressively pursue this goal of being financially free, have the conversation with them like I had with you. Look, I'm not throwing around fancy terms or psychological mumbo-jumbo or you know, talking about anything spiritual or political. I'm just keeping it real, practical, tactical, no bullshit. That's the reason you guys listen to us. So the question really is ultimately – and this is summarizing point one and point two. Nobody wants you to be free. Your family, your friends, most of your churches, they don't want you to be free. Matter of fact, in some religions, and I was raised like this, you are almost seen it's as evil if you're pursuing, well, it's because you're not supposed to put the pursuit of money in front of God. I get it. But you're seen as evil because of the misinterpretation of the scripture, if you actually are trying to essentially um, become rich. Right? Rich is evil. That's how a lot of us in the Midwest were raised. But it's not true. It's absolutely not true. Because the way you get rich is by helping other people. You see the conflict there? It's ridiculous. So why would a church want you to believe that? Because they want you, you're going to be insulted, but just bear with me here. And I don't have to be 100% right. Even if only 1% right, what I'm about to say, they want you to basically feel guilty about having wealth so that you obviously will feel more comfortable and almost obligated to give it to them. Of course, that's why. It's all part of the system wanting to continue itself. It's all part of the organism wanting to keep you dependent. The way you get free of it is, and have, you know, here's the thing too. Many of you have never even had a tiny, tiny taste of what it would be like not to have to be dependent on the whole system anymore. You've grown so comfortable with it that the the response that you're having to actually being financially free is fear. Isn't that interesting? How many of you are feeling like that? How many of you right now, when you get to the point where let's say you had $10,000 a month coming in, you know, passively, some of you are like, damn, that is feels good. Others of you, you're feeling anxiety. You're feeling fear. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Because you know what I'm saying is true intuitively, right? Innately, you know that that's going to result in probably people rejecting you. Innately, you know that the tribe you belong to won't necessarily be as welcoming if you're no longer dependent on the same things they're dependent on. Worried about the same thing they're worried about. Fearful of the same thing they're worried fearful of. You're not free of that. And then you're going to basically be rejected by those people. You know it's true. Not summarily, not always, but pretty much. You see people all the time who have accumulated money. It's a common thing. And maybe they've accumulated after long hours of, you know, whatever, right? They've sacrificed a lot. They've helped a lot of people. But they still feel in conflict with having the money. Why do they feel in conflict with having the money? Because they are still tied to this belief structure about what they can actually do with the money and what they had to do to earn the money. They believe that those, you know, their core fundamental software is that having money is, and having freedom is somehow wrong. Somehow makes it so that you're not part of the greater populace, the greater population. So some of you guys, and I appreciate this, and I feel the same way, truthfully, feel an obligation once you reach financial freedom, or even before you do, to, be, um, to make a contribution. And you know, to help, to make the world a better place and all these types of nice things to say and do, right? And those are all true things. But you get confused because you do it in the wrong order. So here's the right order. The first thing you have to do is you have to take care of your family. Okay, if you're a single person, that's easier to do than if you've got a bunch of kids, right? But the first thing, you, your first obligation, and if you only do this well, even if you never get to the point where you're rich, but you do take care of your family, you do live your, you know, to your moral obligations and your commitments that you've made, you've lived a good life, even if you never get to be financially free. True story. So... That's first one. Next one is you do have an obligation, a moral obligation. I'm going to roll into this. Uh, this is rule three. You do have a moral obligation to be rich. Once you've taken care of your family, once you've essentially, you know, you've got enough steaks in the freezer, as I'm fond of saying, right? Steaks represent money and security. Once everybody's feeling safe and secure, you then do have a moral obligation to be rich. And that's where you create an abundance of income, for multiple income sources, and I'm going to talk with you guys about that in the next podcast, so that you then can create more opportunities with the goodwill that you've put out there for other people. Now, that can be in the form of employment. That can be in the form of donating money. That can be in the form of you actually acquiring and starting more businesses, making more assets, more, more investments. Like, for example, if you decided, now you've got all your you know, ducks in a row, you're financially independent, your financial situation is, is, is perfect, you've got a very manageable monthly recurring overhead, you've got passive income sources more than covering that, and now you're gonna say, okay, Tim, I'm there, what am I gonna do with my money? Or the money is increasing because the things I am you know put in place or uh, they're continuing to build and they're continuing to produce more money and now I have an abundance of money. You know, what do I do? well, then you can start choosing what to do with the money in such a way that it'll create more money. So it'll create more freedom, not just for you, but then you can start creating it for other people by creating opportunities. For example, if you put money, now think about what I'm saying here before you go to some place that's you know not in alignment with your current belief structure. If you put money in rental properties, for example, right? let's say you pay cash for rental properties. You're providing a home for somebody. You're, imply, implying, you're you're providing a tax source for the local government, right? The property taxes. You're providing employment for all the people you're going to have to pay to fix that damn rental property every time it breaks, right? Which ours seem to break every day. You're going to be providing so many different you know, benefits to other people just because you chose to buy that rental property. Okay. Too obtuse? Try this one. I'll even make it more obtuse. Let's say you're really smart and you want to buy eXPI stock. Now, not a stockbroker, not a stock trader, not giving you any advice, but yes, Julie and I have EXPI stock. It's the NASDAQ ticker symbol for the, uh, you know, net e, e, uh, EXPI holds EXP. So EXP is a publicly traded company. Let's decide you, you know, you want to buy EXP. And let's say you bought it 60, 90 days ago when it was 8 bucks a share and now it's $15 a share. And I mean, where's the people helping benefit in doing that? What did you do exactly to help people by buying stock other than just enriched yourself? You doubled your money, right? Kind of feels weird, right? How's that in con- Is that in conflict with your belief structure? shouldn't be because you still were helping other people because you were purchasing the uh, shares in the company. That basically kept the value of the... It, obviously, it became something that more people wanted because by... Uh, purchasing shares, you create more and people want to buy it, then they have to pay slightly more because there's fewer shares on the market, right? Scarcity. And then what happens? The money basically creates more interest and more opportunity. And then what happens? EXP then expands its business offerings to help more people. And then it grows and it grows and it grows. Not to mention, there I know m- many people at this point who have become millionaires just off EXPI stock. Who've, some of them have become very wealthy off expi stock. I'm not giving you stock advice here guys but do research it right so they then become you know, millionaires multi-millionaires or maybe they just pay their house off they get closer to financial freedom. they then basically start being able to you know essentially have new experiences have new thoughts and maybe one of them you know maybe one of these people that basically got uh, essentially you know five or ten million dollars from expi stock, they pay all their stuff off and they still have half of it left and then they start a business or maybe they donate the money or then maybe they then can start a, a private school or may, who knows what, right? Maybe they pay for their college educations for their grandkids or their children provided they don't get you know goofy degrees that will force them to never be able to get jobs. You know, who knows what? Do you see how they then with that money? Money is in itself not evil. Money is a thing that carries the potential for good things to happen. Money then becomes a essentially a continuation of the good that they did otherwise they wouldn't have it. So if you're broke or if you're not financially secure, the easiest way for you to break through that, which doesn't require you feeling overwhelmed, is just accept the fact that there's a direct correlation between the amount of riches that you have in life and the amount of people and the number of people you've helped solve their problems so you, the more problems you help solve for other people the, the fewer problems you ultimately have that's how it really works that's the direct formula don't get don't get deranged by it don't get confused by it don't let you know modern political messaging make you feel Oh my gosh, this is oh, somehow, I like some of you guys are so, it's fascinating. Like somebody will say, like, I am, you know, tax, I'm saving money on taxes. And some of you actually think that's wrong to save money on taxes, right? You might put money into an investment property, where you can depreciate it. You can write off the interest because you're a professional real estate investor or whatever, Right. And then all of a sudden, you you will hear that. You'll say, oh, that person, somehow they're scamming the system because they're paying less in taxes than I am. That's how you guys think, some of you. Well, there's no wonder you're not accumulating any money because you're not independent of those thoughts. Those thoughts, those those actions that follow those thoughts are the very things that are going to keep you broke. You really, really need to confront yourself and your limiting beliefs about your potential to be rich. Being rich is where your money works for you. You no longer work for your money. That's a liberating kind of wonderful thought, isn't it? It's not some big ridiculous amount of money that you probably can't ever, you know, reasonably accomplish in your lifetime. It's not, a, you know, five private jets or a yacht. Now, if you want all those things, go for it, right? It's fantastic. Go for it. Use that to motivate you. I think it's wonderful. Honestly, I do. Because you're not going to buy that private jet unless you've helped a bunch of people. You're not going to buy that new Ferrari, You know, unless you've helped a bunch of people, it ain't going to happen, right? No, Tim, I can borrow the money and buy the Ferrari. Yeah, but you still got the payment and that payment's going to require that you basically help a bunch of people in order to afford it. That's it. Money is a direct representation, whether you have have it or you don't have it, the number of people you helped. How does it make you feel? What are you thinking? You feel better? You feel free? You feel at least an opportunity to break free of being dependent? That's the key here. You are independent, which is historically speaking a threat to the system once you basically are financially free. If you're financially free and people can no longer manipulate you to be fearful and think this way or that way, what do you think about? So those of you who basically felt anxiety and fear even with the idea of being financially free, it's because it leaves a void. That's why. By the way, I used to think like that. How about that? And I was in my 20s, right? And I didn't think like that for long, but I do remember thinking like that. So if you no longer were dependent on the system and you were financially free, you had control of your time, you had control of your schedule, you had control of basically the people you worked with or chose not to, you had control of basically where you lived when you woke up, when you went to bed. You had control of all those things. You weren't dependent on some, you know, precept of how you're supposed to be living your life, right? I'm not saying you're gonna be some immoral slob, I'm not suggesting anything like that. But you had those controls. You were in what would you what would you do with your time? What would you do with your thoughts? Some of you it's scary, I know, right? Would you write a book? Would you learn to write a book? What were the things that you would do if you no longer actually Had to work for money where your money was working for you. Maybe you'd volunteer. That's fantastic. You know, maybe you would start a humane society. That's that's wonderful. Maybe you would essentially have a gap year or maybe a gap two years where you just essentially backpacker. It does not matter, right? But that don't let the not having the answer to what you would do or who you would be, be the very reason why you don't become that's just you being that's just you being nuts i mean for you not to basically pursue it because you don't know what would essentially fill your days and your time and your thoughts and because you have so much dependency on other people telling you what to think other people telling you what to do oh my god tim how dare you tell me not to watch cnn or fox news right it's because you're dependent on it because you've never developed an independent uh, you know mechanism to think and now you're dependent on it. And for you to be liberated from it, for you to be free from that is scary for many of you. So don't worry about solving that for now, okay? Because I have news for you. You'll figure a way, you'll figure it out along the way, right? You got time. You got six months, twelve months, two years, three years, five years, however long you decide to basically embrace this, and then you move forward and you realize your goal is to basically, you know, be rich where your money works for you, you no longer work for your money. And when you get there. You know, it's dependent on basically how much you ebb and flow, start and stop, the momentum you build or the momentum you don't. But let's say it takes you two years. It takes you three years to get there. You got two or three years to figure out what the hell you're going to do with your time and your thoughts. You got plenty of time. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. You'll figure it out. (laughs) Right? Guys, listen. The freedom, the ultimate feeling that you want. You know, when, when people talk about your one thing, I hate that. It's so dumb because your one thing changes all the time. Depends if you're hungry, if you're tired, if you're sad. You know, what's the one thing that's driving you? It literally depends on the weather, <laughs> you know, for some people. Some people have slow and hurtful joints when it, it gets to be a certain, you know, temperature out, right? You know, cold or whatever. And the one thing is that they don't want their joints to hurt anymore. Well, that's one thing is not going to be the same maybe six months later when it's warm out. And now they look in the mirror in their bathing suit and they look like, you know, a beluga. And they're saying to themselves, well, the one thing I want now is I want to lose weight. You guys get it? It changes constantly. And the idea that there's going to be one thing that's going to drive you forever, it just isn't true. But I'll tell you, ultimately, if there were one thing that will drive you, ultimately, is if you can attach yourself to that feeling of never having to be dependent again, of being financially free, if you can allow yourself and you could tell your ego to shut the hell up for just, you know, five seconds, you only have to feel it for probably like two seconds. And once you allow yourself to feel that feeling for just a millisecond, even, right? I'm making it easier on all of you. You will feel this amazing, enlightened, sort of spiritual, sort of, I don't even know how to describe it, feeling. You will. You will all of a sudden be unburdened of having to please other people. You'll be unburdened of having to worry about necessarily what other people think. You'll be unburdened of all the crap that goes on constantly that makes all of us a little bit crazy. You'll be unburdened from all of it. That feeling of freedom comes from being financially independent. That's what all of you guys should be striving for. Look, how many of you right now are making decisions based on your egos, based on what other people think, or power, or influence, or all these other things? But here's the pissy things about all those things. They're all given to you by somebody else and taken away from you by those same people. If you're dependent on the awards and the plaques and the ribbons and the gold stars, those are all given to you, by the way, by people who want to control you and manipulate your behavior. Hey, Tim and Julie... We'll give you this double diamond fancy plaque and whatnot if you sell three hundred houses. So all of a sudden, they're they're manipulating me to set aside my own personal best interests, which maybe were essentially financial goals that wouldn't have, wouldn't have necessitated me selling three hundred houses, right? Maybe you know, like my goal was to uh, buy. Five rental properties, and those five rental properties, we're going to produce you know eight thousand or four thousand to five thousand dollars a month passive income. But all of a sudden, I'm allowing this outside force to tell me how amazing I'll be if I sell three hundred houses. And guess what? The three hundred houses is going to necessitate me doing a bunch of dumb business decisions. I'm going to have to hire buyers agents. I'm going to have to you know essentially provide those buyers agents with buyer leads, and I'm going to do all this crap just so that I can then get this shiny plaque or whatever bullshit thing it is that they've basically manipulated my ego into believing I need to have in order to feel successful. I am a sucker if I do that because I've then allowed someone else to tell me how to think, how to feel. I've given up my freedom. I have. I did. Julie and I followed that we chased that rabbit for maybe a year or two and we realized how dumb it was. We realized because we stopped buying rental properties because we started pursuing recognition. The pursuit of recognition and the belief that you have to have recognition in order to be a complete person, recognition beyond the love of your family and your friends, that's just your ego. And it's the easiest way to manipulate people. Always has been, always will be. If, if you want to, like, who's the person in power? The person receiving the award or the person giving the award? Obviously, the person giving the award, right? But how many of you guys have given up your potentiality to be rich, where your money works for you, no longer work for your money, for ego, for how you'd look, for how other people will see you, you know, that's an interesting little, you know, thing, right? It's an ego thing. And I'll tell you what I found, and I've never found an exception to this, is coaching people of all ages, I I remember very distinctly this year, I've had some very interesting coaching calls with um, people who realize that they made bad decisions when they're in their 30s and sometimes early 40s, sometimes younger than that, but generally speaking then, because they pursued things that were ego-driven and not essentially profit and becoming wealthy and rich and independently you know, wealthy-driven. They're being manipulated. They wanted to get the plaques. They wanted to sell the most houses. They wanted to have all these, you know, this sense of value because they, you know, had all this recognition, right? And they gave up years of being able to accumulate wealth. And what happens is all that goes away. There'll be some other fool that'll chase the, you know, the, the rabbit a little bit more aggressively for you. And you're no longer number one, you're now number two. And because your ego and your sense of identity was so wrapped up in getting that stupid prize, you now basically, you know, you guys get it slippery slope up, slippery slope down, nothing to show for the ascension, nothing to show for the descension. And then when you reach the age of, you know, 50s or your 60s, you kind of look back at all those things and you say, "Wow, I was dumb." And that's what people say. Now, sometimes they'll say in different ways; they're not being as critical on themselves. Maybe they're saying, "Well, something I had to learn, a process I had to go through." No, it wasn't. You don't have to go through that process. There's nothing in the evolution of man or womankind that necessitates them being manipulative through their egos to do things that are not in their own self best, their own best interests. Our industry is full of crap like that. Most of what's sold to you guys is sold to you through the idea that it'll earn you more recognition. It'll essentially boost your ego. Social networking, for example <laughs> I mean, look, I'm on Facebook too, and you know, for the most part, I'd say honestly, social networking's good, but it is just a narcissistic cesspool, most of it, isn't it? Especially some of the stuff that's coming out with this, this new stuff, you know? It's just disgusting, but people will do anything. To get recognition, to get the likes, to get, do you guys see it for what it is? Isn't that amazing? Mark Zuckerberg was manipulating you because you want recognition from strangers. <laughs> All the while, he's one of the wealthiest people on the place, uh, face of the planet because he's the one giving the recognition. He's the one that controls essentially how you feel about yourself, some of you based on how many likes you have or followers you have or friends you have. Some of you believe that when you go on a listing appointment, the way you earn the listing is by basically you know, bragging about how many people like your posts or your, your Twitters or your twatters. All the while, you don't really have much of a sales history. All the while, you don't know how to help that seller in the particular situation they find themselves in because now they're unemployed and they're underwater in their house. But hey, they should list with you anyway because you've got so many followers on Twitter. That makes you an important influencer, right? It's all ego, guys. You've all been manipulated. Someone is stealing from you, your ability to be to be free. Somebody is stealing from you, your ability to be independent and to evolve as a person. You're always going to be in the system as long as you always allow yourself to be manipulated by trying to seek approval from other people. It's a it's a cage, guys. It's a classic cage. What are you thinking? Am I resonating with you? Is this something that's heading home for some of you? Can you at least consider a different trajectory for yourselves so that when we do meet sometime in the future, you'll be able to remember uh, you know this conversation that we're all having right now, and maybe you can tell me what you were getting from that, and from this rather, and and how it changed your life, and then guess what? You're gonna change the lives of everybody you know. This is the positive, unintended consequence of being free because when you're free then you're going to help your children to be the same you're going to help your everyone to be the same people in your church your synagogue your mosque your community you're going to become somebody who actually is the new software and we break this generational dependency of you know that keeps us all essentially never feeling freedom You don't know that you don't feel freedom until you allow yourself the few microseconds of actually allowing yourself to feel it. If you meditate, meditate. If you just can find some quiet time, find some quiet time. Cut through all your internal noise. It's going to help if you go media free for at least a day or two or maybe a week and then stay media free, by the way, and connect with the idea that every single month you have enough money coming in passively that you no longer longer had to work for your money. Your money is working for you. No, monitor how you feel. Look, If you go through a little you know, bit of a bout of anxiety, don't let it pull you back. Just push through it and then monitor how you feel. And what, you're, what I feel and what many of the people I've helped through this process feel is a lightness, as in a literal lightness. They feel and see light. They feel and see the, all the stress around them melting away. They feel and see things for what they were, self-imposed, Essentially, you know, freedom and liberty killing thoughts. Once they attach themselves to that sense of freedom, once you felt that once, it's it's maybe like ayahuasca or something. I don't know. I've never done ayahuasca, right? But once you've attached to it, you've created your own little, you know, hallucinogenic sense of freedom. (laughs) There, that's a lot of crazy thoughts connected, but it's true. You will never go back to thinking the way you did before. All you've got to do is feel it once. And once you feel it, you will never let that feeling go away. And you're going to fight for that. So if there is a one thing, that's what it should be. And everything else comes from the accomplishment of that. Consider all this. Think about it. Don't think too long, though, because oftentimes your thoughts are basically predicated on the old software, which is going to drive you back into the hole of dependency. So maybe less thinking, you know, how about that? Maybe less thinking. How about more just doing that one thing I asked you to do? Try to go to some quiet place this weekend or if you're listening to you know, in the future, it doesn't matter. And actually, you know, meditate, concent- concentrate, focus. Um, and again, the easiest way for you to get to a place where you can be somewhat contemplative is to purge all media, free yourself from all of that. You know, at least allow your brain to stop operating with so much much thinking. All this thinking is destructive. You don't need to be thinking about all this different crap that other people want you to think about. That's all designed to make it so if your brain is so busy thinking about their agendas, you're never actually going to allow in the thoughts are going to make it so you can be free. Guys, understanding what I'm saying here? (laughs) Are we walking on the same path? So I'm going to pick up tomorrow where I left off today. I have no idea how long I've been on this podcast. Hopefully you guys are enjoying this. Um and uh yeah so we're going to pick up on point number or rule number 3 and ooh you guys are going to like rule number 4 ooh i forgot about that one that was super aggressive and rule number 5 too so we have got three more rules to go through we might do some of this this weekend we might carry it into next week give me some feedback let me know what you guys are thinking text me 512-758-0206 uh, 512-758-0206. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know if I'm reaching some of you. I'm doing my best. I'm having fun with it at the same time, which is always good, right? Um, let me know if you want me to drill down more on one of the points or one of the micro points. If you need more help with something, let me know. Chances are I've had this very conversation of whatever is you know holding you back with a billion coaching clients, so I can hopefully apply um, some of that skill set to help you as well. So let me know. 512-758-0206. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. You can listen to our podcast anytime. It's on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify. It's everywhere. Thanks for continuing to make this the number one daily listen to podcast for, for real estate professionals. That was fantastic. Day.
0: This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs